Section 5 of the story of HMS Pinafore. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The story of HMS Pinafore by W.S. Gilbert. Chapter 4, Part 2. Captain Corcoran could not conceal his exultation. Indeed, there was no reason why he should, as he was entirely alone. He clasped his hands, smiled broadly, took a long breath of relief, and had just begun to dance the hornpipe that Sir Joseph had taught him, to see if he remembered the steps, when he was interrupted by the unexpected appearance of poor, deformed Dick Deadeye, who approached him with the irregular jerky action of a triangle that is being trundled like a hoop. Captain, whispered he, I want a word with you, and he placed his hand impressively on the captain's wrist. Dead I, said he, you, here, don't. Ah, don't shrink from me, captain, replied Dead I. I'm unpleasant to look at, and my name's agin me, but I ain't as bad as I look. What do you want with me at this time of night, said Captain Corcoran. Dead Eye looked round mysteriously to make quite sure that they were unobserved. I've come, said he, to give you warning. Indeed, exclaimed the captain, who was delighted to think that there was a chance of getting rid of Dead Eye without hurting his feelings. Do you propose to leave the navy then? No, no, said Dead Eye. I don't mean that. Listen. The captain was disappointed, but he listened nevertheless. And in accordance with the standing rules that no one was ever to say anything to the captain that could be sung, Dick Deadeye struck up as follows. Kind captain, I've important information. Sing hey, the kind commander that you are. About a certain intimate relation, sing hey, the merry maiden and the tar. The captain, who had his book of rhymes handy, consulted it for a moment, and then replied, Good fellow, in conundrums you are speaking, sing hey, the mystic sailor that you are, the answer to them vainly I am seeking, sing hey, the merry maiden and the tar. Of course, the captain was completely puzzled, having no idea what dead I was alluding to, so Dick explained. Kind captain, your young lady is a-sighing. Sing hey, the simple captain that you are. This very night with rackstraw to be flying. Sing hey, the merry maiden and the tar. Captain Corcoran was dreadfully distressed at this piece of information, but he pulled himself together with an effort and replied, after a moment with his rhyming dictionary, Good fellow, you have given timely warning. Sing hey, the thoughtful sailor that you are. I'll talk to Master Rackstraw in the morning. Sing hey, the cat o' nine tails and the tar. And so singing, Captain Corcoran produced from his pocket a beautifully inlaid little presentation, cat o' nine tails. And as he flourished it, he brought it down accidentally, but heavily, on poor Dick's back. Dick grateful for any attention, pulled his forelock respectfully and trundled off into the forepart of the ship. I ought to explain that the cat-o'-nine-tails is a cruel kind of whip 
with nine thongs which was at that time commonly used in the navy to punish badly behaved seamen but captain corcoran was much too humane a man to use it it happened to be in his pocket because it was a present from his dear old white-haired apple-cheeked grandmamma which had only arrived that day dick deadeye had warned the captain just in time for as dick crept off the captain saw a large body of the crew with ralph among them advancing on tiptoe towards the boats which were hanging from irons called davits in the ship's side and at the same time josephine came out of her cabin with her handbag in her hand and crept silently to where ralph was standing it was more than flesh and blood could stand and in the anger of the moment the captain exclaimed bother and brought the cat o nine tails down on the breech of a gun which happened to be handy all the crew were dreadfully startled why what was that said bob buntlin one of the sailors who had not yet spoken it was only the cat said bill boom bill boom was perfectly right it was the cat as josephine met ralph and while the crew were mustering on the quarter-deck the captain glanced hastily through his rhyming dictionary and having found what he wanted revealed himself exclaiming hold much alarmed and greatly astonished to find their captain among them they all held captain corcoran advanced and seizing his daughter by the hand twirled her away from ralph rackstraw who looked like the apollo belvedere struck stupid naughty daughter of mine sang the captain i insist upon knowing where you may be going with these sons of the brine for my excellent crew though foes they could thump any are scarcely company for a lady like you ralph wasn't going to stand this he had been taught by the first lord of the admiralty that a british sailor is the finest fellow in the world and if you can't believe a first lord whom can you believe so pulling himself together he began haughty sir when you address poetry please said captain corcoran i allow no sailor to address me in prose ralph thought for a moment and then declaimed in the key of g proud officer that haughty lip uncurl the captain uncurled his haughty lip as desired vain man suppress that supercilious sneer he suppressed it at once for i have dared to love your matchless girl a fact well known to all my messmates here i humble poor and lowly born the meanest in the port division the butt of epauletted scorn footnote the idea of scorn wearing epaulets is rather a fine figure of speech i do not remember to have met it before End of footnote. The mark of quarter-deck derision have dared to raise my wormy eyes above the dust to which you'd mould me. In manhood's glorious pride to rise, I am an Englishman, behold me. And at once all the crew, carried off their feet with enthusiasm, shouted their own domestic national anthem, led by the energetic Mr. Bobstay he is an englishman for he himself hath said it 
and it's greatly to his credit that he is an Englishman, for he might have been a Russian, a French or Turk or Prussian, or perhaps Italian. But in spite of all temptations to belong to other nations, he remains an Englishman. And when they had finished, all the crew wiped their eyes, which were full of manly tears, and shook hands with each other until their emotion had in some degree subsided. Indeed, three or four of them were carried off in hysterics, and had to be revived with eau de cologne, a tub of which always stood on the forecastle. Speaking for myself, I do not quite see that Ralph Rackstraw deserved so very much credit for remaining an Englishman, considering that no one seems ever to have proposed to him that he should be anything else. But the crew thought otherwise, and I dare say they were right. Captain Corcoran hardly knew how to act, for he so seldom got into a tearing rage that he did not know what it was considered usual for a man in a tearing rage to do. He was anxious not to overdo it, and at the same time he felt that it was necessary to let them know that a tearing rage was what he was in. After some reflection, and a glance at his dictionary, he concluded that the best way was to depart from his usual calm, correct way of speaking, and horrify them by introducing some really unpardonable language. So he exclaimed, In uttering a reprobation to any British tar, I try to speak with moderation, but you have gone too far. I'm very sorry to disparage a humble foremast lad, but to seek your captain's child in marriage, why, hang it, it's too bad. Yes, hang it, it's too bad. I don't care, I will say it, and risk the consequences. Yes, hang it, it's too bad. The crew were awestruck, for they had never in all their experience of Captain Corcoran known him to forget himself as far as to use an expression of this description. Three times, too, not once, but three times, as if he revelled in his wickedness, and what made the circumstance more impressive was that as their amazement and agitation subsided, they saw the First Lord of the Admiralty standing apparently thunderstruck in their midst. I am appalled, said Sir Joseph, as soon as he could control his tongue. Simply appalled. There was no mistake about it. He was quite white with the shock that the captain's language had given him. He was no longer a first lord. He was a monument of pathetic imbecility. To your cabin, sir, said he, trembling with emotion, and consider yourself under the strictest arrest. Sir Joseph, said Captain Corcoran, pray hear me. To your cabin, sir. And a couple of marines marched him off under the command of the smallest midshipman in the ship. Sir Joseph had by this time somewhat recovered his composure. Now tell me, my fine fellow, said he, addressing Ralph Rackstraw, how came your captain so far to forget himself? Please, Your Honour, said Ralph, pulling respectfully at his forelock. It was thus wise. You see, I'm only a topman, a mere foremast hand. Don't be ashamed of that, said Sir Joseph. A topman is necessary at the top of everything. This, of course, was not the case, but Sir Joseph, having been a solicitor, did not know any better. Well, Your Honour, said Ralph, 
love burns as brightly on the forecastle as it does on the quarter-deck and josephine is the fairest bud that ever blossomed on the tree of a poor fellow's wildest hopes sir joseph could scarcely believe his ears are you referring to uh, miss josephine corcoran gasped sir joseph that's the lady sir said ralph in fact here she is bless her little heart and josephine rushed into ralph's outstretched arms she's the figurehead of my ship of life the bright beacon that guides me into the port of happiness the rarest the purest gem that ever sparkled on a poor but worthy fellow's trusting brow the crew burst into tears at this lovely speech and sobbed heavily it had quite a different effect on sir joseph who forgetting all his dignity danced about the deck in a blind fury you you impertinent presumptiful disgracious audastical summon caler exclaimed sir joseph chopping up and transposing his letters and syllables in a perfectly ridiculous manner i'll teach you to loll in fuv with your captain's quarter away with him to the barkest dungeon on dord of course he meant to say the darkest dungeon on board and would have said it if he had had his temper under proper control josephine clung to ralph and declared that as he was to be shut up in a cell she would go with him but they were violently torn asunder and a pair of handcuffs having been placed on ralph's wrists by the sergeant of the marines he was taken away in custody at this point sir joseph became calm and coherent again and as for you miss corcoran he began but before he could say what he was going to say whatever it was little buttercup came forward and exclaimed hold why sir joseph asked not unnaturally because i have a tale to unfold she replied we are all attention said sir joseph proceed and little buttercup proceeded thus a many years ago when i was young and charming as some of you may know i practised baby farming footnote by baby farming she meant that she earned her living by taking in little children to nurse while their papas and mamas were travelling on the continent End of footnote. the crew were most interested in this piece of news and expecting that she was about to reveal something that would entirely alter the aspect of affairs they muttered to each other now this is most alarming when she was young and charming she practised baby farming a many years ago little buttercup continued two tender babes i nussed one was of low condition the other upper crust footnote a vulgar expression intended to imply that one of them belonged to a family of some social importance it is not an expression that i can recommend for general use but little buttercup wanted a rhyme for nust and there was no other word handy that would do End of footnote. a regular patrician again the crew said to each other by way of explaining how the case stood now this is the position one was of low condition the other a patrician a many years ago this having been made quite clear to them little buttercup continued the story oh bitter is my cup however could i do it 
I mixed those children up, and not a creature knew it. This was quite an inexcusable piece of carelessness on the part of Little Buttercup. If she had any doubt which was which, she could so easily have tied a bit of blue ribbon around the neck of one, and a luggage label round the neck of the other. The sailors were surprised at this culpable neglect of duty, and replied, However could you do it? Some day, no doubt, you'll rue it, although no creature knew it, so many years ago. Little Buttercup, not heeding their interruption, concluded her confession thus. In time each little waif forsook his foster-mother. Footnote. That is to say, when their respective parents returned to England and reclaimed them. End of footnote. The well-born babe was Ralph. Your captain was the other. Again the crew explained the situation to each other, that there might be no mistake about it. They left their foster-mother. The one was Ralph, our brother. Our captain was the other, a many years ago. Here was a pretty kettle of fish. Ralph was, properly speaking, a captain in the navy. And Captain Corcoran was only a common sailor. Am I really to understand, said Sir Joseph, that during all these years each has been occupying the other's position? That, said Little Buttercup, is the idea I intended to convey. And you've done it very well, said Sir Joseph, and all the crew applauded so vigorously that Little Buttercup thought they wished to hear it all over again, and had actually got so far as, a many years ago, when Sir Joseph interrupted her. Let them both appear before me at once, said he. And immediately Ralph appeared dressed in Captain Corcoran's uniform as a captain in the navy, and Captain Corcoran in Ralph's uniform as a man-of-war's man. This had been carefully arranged by Little Buttercup herself, knowing that the time had come when it would be necessary that she should reveal her secret. She had previously caused one of Captain Corcoran's uniforms to be conveyed to Ralph's quarters, and one of Ralph's uniforms to be placed in Captain Corcoran's cabin, with a note pinned to each bundle explaining the condition of affairs. Now we see what Little Buttercup meant when she sang those mysterious lines to Captain Corcoran about things being seldom what they seem, skim milk masquerading as cream, and so forth. Oh, she was a knowing one, I can tell you, was Little Buttercup. As Corcoran, no longer a captain, stepped forward, Josephine rushed to him in amazement. My father a common sailor, she exclaimed. Yes, said Corcoran, it is hard, is it not, my dear? During this time, Ralph was too much occupied in trying to catch sight of the two epaulets which glistened on his shoulders to attend to anything else. This, said Sir Joseph, is a very singular occurrence, and as far as I know, nothing of the kind has ever happened before. I congratulate you both. Then turning towards Captain Rackstraw, as we must now call him, he said, indicating Corcoran, desire that remarkably fine seaman to step forward. Corcoran, said Captain Rackstraw, three paces to the front, march. Just as Corcoran, when he was captain, had said to Ralph. 
Corcoran, however, knew his rights, and wasn't going to stand being spoken to in this abrupt fashion. If what? said Corcoran, touching his cap. I don't understand you, said Captain Rackstraw haughtily. If you please, said Corcoran, with a strong emphasis on the please. Perfectly right, said Sir Joseph. If you please. Oh, of course, said Captain Rackstraw. If you please. And Corcoran stepped forward and saluted, like the smart man-o'-war's man that he was. You're an extremely fine fellow, said Sir Joseph, turning him round as he inspected him. Yes, Your Honour, said Corcoran, who was still too good a judge to contradict a First Lord of the Admiralty. So, observed Sir Joseph, it seems that you were Ralph, and Ralph was you. So it seems, Your Honour, said Corcoran, with a respectful pull at his forelock. Well, said Sir Joseph, I need not tell you that, after this change in your condition, a marriage with your daughter will be out of the question. Don't say that, Your Honour, replied Corcoran. Love levels all ranks, you know. Sir Joseph was rather taken aback by being confronted with his own words, but having been a solicitor, he was equal to the occasion. It does to a considerable extent, said Sir Joseph, but it does not level them as much as that. It does not annihilate the difference between a First Lord of the Admiralty and a common sailor, though it may very well do so between a common sailor and his captain, you know. I see, said Corcoran, that had not occurred to me. Captain Rackstraw, said Sir Joseph, what is your opinion on that point? I entirely agree with your lordship, said Ralph, whose love for Josephine overcame all other considerations. If your lordship doesn't want her, I'll take her with pleasure. He said this because, fine fellow as he was, and deeply as he loved Josephine, he considered that it was his duty, as an officer in the navy, to give Sir Joseph the first choice. Then take her, sir, and mind you make her happy. And Captain Rackstraw arranged with Josephine that they would go on shore at once and be married at once. Fortunately, the clergyman was still waiting for them, although he had become rather impatient at the delay. During this conversation, Corcoran had a word or two with Buttercup, who took that opportunity of revealing herself to him as one of the maidenly crew of the hot cross bun of twenty years ago. He was greatly touched at the story of her faithful devotion to him, and determined to repay it. My lord, said he to Sir Joseph, I shall be quite alone when Josephine marries, and I should like a nice little wife to sew buttons on my shirt and mend my socks. By all means, said Sir Joseph, can you suggest anybody? Corcoran presented blushing little Buttercup to Sir Joseph, who gave her sixpence on the spot as a wedding present. Little Buttercup was so touched by Sir Joseph's liberality that she burst into tears. Corcoran, overjoyed, at once broke into song, adapting, on the spur of the moment, the well-known and familiar words with which he used to greet his crew every morning, thus. I was the captain of the pinafore, and all the crew chorused, and a right good captain too. Corcoran. 
and though before my fall i commanded of you all i'm a member of the crew i shall marry with a wife in my humble rank of life and you my own are she indicating little buttercup i must wander to and fro but wherever i may go i shall never be unkind to thee and the crew sang rather slyly what never replied he no never the crew more slyly still what never and the captain whose experience of his former wife had taught him that even the most amiable married people will fall out occasionally replied hardly ever hardly ever be unkind to thee and they all sang then give three cheers and one cheer more for the hardy seaman of the pinafore for he is an englishman and he himself hath said it and it's greatly to his credit that he is an englishman for he might have been a russian a french or turk or prussian or perhaps italian but in spite of all temptations to belong to other nations he remains an englishman in short there were general rejoicings all round lemon ice shoulders of mutton ginger beer and meringues a la creme were served out in profusion and sir joseph who happened to know a number of surprising conjuring tricks brought a rabbit smothered in onions out of his left boot to the intense delight of the crew all the sisters and cousins and aunts of sir joseph tumbled out of bed as soon as they heard the news and came on deck after a hasty toilette a general dance followed in which ralph and josephine particularly distinguished themselves and then they all went on shore that the clergyman who had nearly grown tired of waiting and wanted to go home to his breakfast bacon might join the happy couple in matrimony corcoran was married at the same time to little buttercup and captain rackstraw most kindly gave him a week's leave that he and his wife might go and enjoy some sea bathing at ventnor captain rackstraw proved to be a most excellent commander and was just as much beloved as captain corcoran had been while corcoran took up ralph's duties with enthusiasm and became one of the smartest top men on board it is an excellent test of a man's character when he resigns himself with cheerfulness to a sudden change from dignified affluence to obscure penury and i can't help thinking that on the whole he was a very fine fellow but still i do wish he had not made that very unfortunate remark about being related to a peer end of chapter four part two and end of the story of h m s pinafore by w s gilbert recording by noel badrian county offaly ireland